You may be seated. The scripture for our evening meditation comes from John chapter 19, starting at verse 12 and goes through verse 16. It's found in the service folder on page 4 and also up on the screens. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away! Take him away! Crucify him! Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. This is God's word. During the season that we call Lent, uh, the moments before Jesus' death and his resurrection on Easter Sunday, we are going through a series called Isn't It Ironic? And we're going into the stories leading up to his moment on the cross. Stories that are strange in that they have something in them that tell us two things. Number one, these stories that we go through tell us about the deep brokenness of the lower story situation. There's something deeply wrong in each of these events or each of these sayings that we look at. But on the other hand, there's something divinely beautiful and grace-centered that God takes and he turns into good. And tonight, we look at the problem of fear. Uh, Because in those verses that we just read from John chapter 19, uh, there are two characters, really. The character of the people and the character of a Roman governor. And they're both driven, if we look at the context, by fear. Um, And we're going to understand what that means. And that's important to us because very often, uh, we are driven by fear, and fear drives us to do things that are irrational, that are hurtful and harmful to others, and that are eternally um, damning. It's called sin. And we want to look at the story tonight and understand what drives these people to make the decisions that they are driven to do, and also to see, again, this is the turn, how God takes this situation and he turns it into something beautiful uh, to save and redeem both of those parties, Pilate and the people. And so tonight, let's think about fear. What is it that drives you to do what you do? A young, um, a young child or a son might be driven by fear of punishment or chastisement or discipline to lie or to cover up his sin or to, to cover up his uh, mistake by doing another sin on top of it. A young man uh, starting off with a new career and a a family, trying to support his family, might be driven by the fear of of other people around him in his business to make it up the corporate ladder, and so he might compromise some of his faith in his workplace out of the fear of providing for his family. Or a, a single mother might be driven by fear of loneliness to jump into the first arms of anybody, any male figure that she can find, even if that male figure is bad for her. And very often it leads to our destruction. Here is the fear that drives the two parties into very bad directions. The story is this. Um, 
Jesus is going through his trial, and it's not his first trial. It's his second trial of the weekend, I guess. It's getting towards the weekend. His first trial was after he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested by a group of people who had fear of Jesus. Uh, the Jewish people, and specifically the Jewish leaders at that time, were fearful because this Jesus of Nazareth was going around uh, preaching a gospel that was very foreign to their institution, very foreign to their religi- religiosity that they had built. He was giving forgiveness of sins to uh, p- people like tax collectors and sinners, and, and, and he was saying that they were forgiven, and, and that was causing alarms in their heads. That's not the religion that they built. They re- built a religion on uprightness and righteousness and living right to get right with God. And so they were driven by fear, and they wanted to eliminate Jesus at any means possible. They also were probably driven by the fear that Jesus was popular among the people at this time. So they arrested Jesus and they brought him to trial, which had enough ironic things in it as it was. It was at nighttime, which was highly illegal. It was at a religious court, and Jesus stood in front of Caiaphas. And the other ironic thing about that first trial was that um, none of the prosecution or none of the witnesses could agree on exactly what it was that Jesus did wrong. They did agree that Jesus had committed blasphemy, which was a religious crime claiming to be God, but no one could claim that Jesus had done anything wrong. Not even his sworn enemies could prove that he actually did anything or had made any sin, which would have been incriminating for anybody that claimed to be God. So that's the first ironic thing. After they brought Jesus to trial before their high priest overnight, they decided that they couldn't eliminate Jesus that way. And so this is what they do. They change the venue and they change the charges. They take Jesus from that place in the religious court overnight to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate's palace at 6 or 7 in the morning. And I don't know if you're a morning person or not, but whether you are or not, I don't want an angry mob of people coming to my doorstep before my first cup of coffee and asking me to have a trial. But that's what they did. And Pontius Pilate, he said, I don't want anything to do with this. Take him away and... um, Deal with him yourself. This is a religious battle that I don't want anything to do with. And then they said this. They said to Pontius Pilate, but he has committed a crime against Rome. He claims to be a king. They charged Jesus of insurgency, which was a capital crime punishable by death by the Romans. And Pontius Pilate kind of had his hands tied, and I'll tell you why. There's a history between Pontius Pilate and the Jewish people. Early on in his career, Pontius Pilate had done some things to lose uh, leadership among his people. He was the governor of Judea for the Roman people, and the Jewish people were under him. And early on in his career, he did two things. Number one, uh, he, 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 he charged into the temple with his Roman soldiers at an early date in his career. And the Roman soldiers had the sign of Caesar on, he had Caesar's face on their shields and on their breastplate. And when he, they went into the temple, this is... The, the Jews all saw that as, as, as blasphemy. And so the Jewish people started to riot, and, and Pilate threatened to, to slaughter all of them, but he couldn't because it was not good for him to do that so early in his political career. And so the Jews were one up on Pilate. Jews won, Pilate nothing. And then later on in his career, before this, um, Pilate had built some aqueducts to bring water into the city, which was a good thing. But he used temple funds to do it, which didn't sit well with the Jewish people. And so what did they do? They rioted. And this time, Pontius Pilate did slaughter some of them. In fact, if you want to dig into it a little bit more, Jesus may have been speaking about that in 
Luke chapter 13, 1 and 2. Caesar wrote Pontius Pilate a letter after that slaughter, and he told him with some harsh words never to do that again, and it became known that Pontius Pilate had messed up. So the Jewish people, too, Pontius Pilate, nothing. So by the time he comes to their doorstep, Pontius Pilate's doorstep, when Pontius Pilate asks them, what charge do you have against this man? They answer, we wouldn't have brought him to you unless he was dangerous. In other words, it doesn't matter what he did. It doesn't matter if you give him a trial or not, but you owe us to put this man to death. And so what did Pontius Pilate do? He investigated He brought Jesus in, and he talked to him, and he said, so you say that you're a king, and Jesus says, yes, I am a king, but I'm not a king of this world, I'm a king of a different world, and I'm a king that comes in the name of truth, and people who believe in truth follow me. And Pontius Pilate knew in his soul right away that Jesus was innocent, that there was no malice, no deceit, no insurgency in this man that he was standing in front of him. However, He says this, what is truth? And Pilate is standing right on this precipice of truth, and he's a judge, and he wants right, and he wants truth. He's asking the questions that seekers of religion and seekers of spirituality and seekers of meaning ask. What is truth? And truth is standing right in front of him, and Pilate has one of two ways to go. He could follow truth, and he could ask Jesus about truth, and the other path is he could abandon truth and justice. And you know what he does? After he asked that brilliant question, what is truth, he abandons truth, the truth that's standing right in front of him, and it turns into a corrupt trial, and it turns into something very, very sad. This is what happens. It says that from that time on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but we know in the end, he condemned an innocent man. Okay, fear leads to irrational, hurtful, and faithless decisions. Here's what's going on during this trial that's leading to to hurtful, irrational, and faithless decisions. Um, The first example is actually a couple of verses before this. During this trial, Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, but he's driven by fear of the people that he should put Jesus to death. So what he does is he takes Jesus out and he puts him in front of the people and he reminds the people, and this is just the chapter before, he reminds them that during this time of the Passover, the Roman government sets free a prisoner, sets free somebody uh, during the Passover as an act of goodwill to the people. And, G- and he thinks, obviously, they're going to pick Jesus because these people don't want an insurgency. Um, the only other option was this Barabbas, but do you know who they called for? Was it Jesus? No, it was Barabbas. The irony was this, that the people, the very people that brought Jesus to Pilate and said, this man is causing an insurgency, are the same people who decided to set free somebody that would cause havoc and cause injustice and cause riots among their community. They were driven by fear, fear of Jesus, fear of the full and free grace that messed up their religiosity to set free a dangerous criminal. And so the question that we ask too is, have you chosen an irrational or dangerous alternative to Christ? Has Christ stood before you and on trial, have you asked him, can you fulfill all my needs or have you run to the other alternative? The alternative could be whatever it is that fills up your life more than Christ. If you can't trust Christ to be your all in all, whether it's substance or whether it's food or whether it's more screen time than you should have, whether it's running back to the broken relationship that you know is bad for you. 
The second instance about why fear drives us to rational and hurtful, faithless decisions is this verse here in verse 12. It says, From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate knew that those words weren't necessarily true. If he set Jesus free, he could still be friends with Caesar, but the shouting and the crowd and the fear of being accepted by the crowd and the fear of the crowd that said you're not going to be even accepted by your boss was driving him to a decision that was wrong, and he knew it was wrong in his conscience. The question that this scripture is asking us is, are we allowing the voices around us Maybe it's at school, maybe it's at work, maybe it's at the playground or wherever else that we go this spring break. Are we allowing those voices to drive our decisions or are we listening to our conscience that God has put there? Have you followed popular opinion instead of your conscience? And the third one is this, in verse 15, this might be the most glaring ironic thing that they say but it's it's this but they shouted take him away take him away crucify him shall i crucify your king pilate asked we have no king but caesar the chief priests answered these are the people by the way who just a couple of verses before they refused to enter into pilate's palace because he was a dirty rotten gentile they refused to go into his own courtroom where they should have been to bring Jesus on trial because they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean because they wanted to stay dedicated to God. These are the chief priests. These are the pastors. These are the spiritual leaders of the people. And it's ironic that they say, we have no king but Caesar <laughs> because in their hearts and behind the scenes, they did everything they could to take down Caesar. But this is irrational behavior. This is behavior driven by fear. This is, this, is, this is driven by anxiety on the inside. It's not grace-based at all, and, and here they are. And by the way, this is just a side note, but uh, these people's great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers and grandmothers, in a day that was called the Days of the Judges, a day when the people had uh, people like uh, Samson and Delilah and uh, people like Samuel ruling them, just, just pastor-like people that spoke from God, they looked at all the nations around them and they said, I want a king just like those other nations. They said that to God. And you know how God replied? He said, I don't want you to have a king like the other nations. I want to be your king. But they insisted on having a king. And do you know what God finally did? He said, you can have a king. See how that works out for you. And not very many kings of Israel worked out. In fact, at this time, there are no kings of Israel. God wanted to be their king. But they've come so far over the years now that not only do they not pledge allegiance to the king that David was in that kingship, but they're, they're pledging allegiance to a heathen. And they're saying, we have no king but Caesar. Out of fear. They're abandoning their even core beliefs. So our question is, have you compromised your core beliefs? Those three questions right there. Have you chosen an irrational and dangerous alternative to Christ? Have you followed popular opinion? Have you compromised your core beliefs? Those are condemning questions. 
But the most ironic turn in this whole uh, section of Scripture is verse 16, because it offers you a solution. It's probably the deepest, darkest, most offensive verse, but it's also the verse where we find God working the most beautiful, and I'm going to say the best thing ever in human history. It happened in verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Isn't that ironic? Because this man, who is more known for raising the dead, healing the sick, feeding thousands, calling corpses out of tombs, creating life for people, innocent, not even his sworn enemies could accuse him of anything, is being put to death in such an unjust way. People are driven by fear. The, the judge is driven by fear. The, the, the Jewish leaders are driven by fear. The people that should have a moral standard are driven by fear to go right against their moral standard. And yet, here's what happens. Jesus takes up the cross willingly. And he carries that cross all the way to Calvary for Pontius Pilate and for the people that cried bloody murder and for you and for me. And it was there that Jesus' sacrifice defeated and defeats fear today. If you have any doubts about how big and wide and high God's love is, this is how big and wide and high his love is. He died on the cross for those people that cried for his blood. And I have proof from Acts chapter 2. Fifty days after Jesus died and he rose again, um, was this festival called Pentecost, and all these people came back to Jerusalem. And it was during that festival of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' disciples. Jesus was in heaven now. He ascended into heaven. And Peter, the apostle, he got up to speak to all this crowd of people. And the people that were gathered there were the same people, many of them, that put Jesus on the cross and cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And this is what Peter says to them. Acts 2, 23. This man... Peter's saying in a sermon to them, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Okay, back in John chapter 19, verse 16, who was it that handed Jesus over to be crucified? It was Pilate. But what is Peter, what is Peter saying in his sermon? He's saying, actually, it wasn't Pilate at all, but actually it was God who handed Jesus over by his deliberate plan and foreknowledge. That tells me something about God, that God's hand was at work the whole time when these people were crying out for Jesus to be killed, that God's work and his plan was for Jesus to be handed over and to die on the cross. In other words, it wasn't Pilate that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the people that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't you and me that forced Jesus to the cross, but God did this out of infinite love because he loved you so much and he's so passionate about forgiving you and restoring you and sacrificing for you to take away his sin that he decided before the beginning of time to forgive your sin and to put his own son on the cross. And so when you have fear that God doesn't care for you or you have fear um, that you need to run to something else besides God or, or, or his son Jesus for strength, look back to his deliberate plan that he planned before the beginning of time for you because he loves you. 
And then he goes on, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That promise went out to 3,000 people, or more that day, but 3,000 were baptized. 3,000 people came to faith, and 3,000 people were saved that we know of on that day alone. And you know who I pray was among them? Pontius Pilate. <laughs> I know there are other Gentiles that were there because they came from all over the world. I pray that the word spread throughout Jerusalem and got all the way to the palace. You know who that promise was meant for? You. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the times that you have chosen irrational and dangerous alternatives to Christ. It's forgiven. It's forgiven for the times when you followed the voices and the popular opinions, and it's forgiven when you've compromised your faith, even in the worst of moments. It's not just forgiven, but you receive something else. Did you catch it at the end? It says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus isn't dead, and he's not on the cross today, but he's given you his Holy Spirit in baptism so that you can say no. You can say no to finding alternatives to Christ because Jesus lived a perfect life in your place, and he never took an alternative to serving his God and doing his Father's will. And so you can stand up to the alternatives in your life, and I know what, you know what they are, and you can say no to it because you have Jesus inside of you fighting with you and for you in your baptism. And, and you can say no to following the popular opinion of other people because you have the voice of Jesus. And Jesus talks this way. He says, I am the good shepherd, and my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I lead them to waters, calm waters, waters that well up to eternal life. And if you know that that's the voice that leads you and that's the voice that's with you, then the other opinions of the rest of the world that are shouting at you, they don't mean anything. And you can say no with Jesus because he never compromised his core beliefs, ever. And his spirit lives in you. So you never have to compromise your core beliefs, ever. Isn't it ironic that Jesus took the lowest point of humanity, a corrupt judge, a corrupt people, and he took the fear that they had that drove him to the cross, the fear that drove him to the cross, and he took control of it to crush fear so that they and you and me can be delivered from fear forever through Jesus. Amen. At this time, we'll take our offering and also...